when we talk about pieces of shame, especially in the self-development world, it's like, okay, just like get that away. We don't want to deal with that. We don't want to touch that. But what you just shared earlier of allowing yourself to feel fully, to go there, just let it, let it be seen, let it be heard, let it be expressed. That's what I believe all emotions that come through us just want that very thing. They want to be seen, they want to be loved, they want to be expressed in some way, shape or form. And when we hold space for them, we can learn what are they here to tell us? Or maybe they just want to move, or maybe there is a story there. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like right now, brothers and sisters. Hope you're doing well. It's been a very trying time for me lately. Very, very trying time. Uh, my um, beautiful daughter Zia was attacked by a dog and uh, had to have stitches in her mouth. Um, an event that uh, I want to talk um, labor too much on because my guest and I, Alex Kemp, talk about it actually uh, in today's episode. And then literally within a week of uh, that happening, two uh, drunk drivers, two idiots in a car at uh, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning drove smash bang in the back of my wife, my daughter, and my mother-in-law's car as they were at a stoplight. And so, yes, yeah, it's been a challenging week and um, the Davy Lim clan has risen above the challenge and everybody's okay. My daughter is healing really well and we've all learned a tremendous amount from both experiences. Okay, and that's really important. You know, it's really important to note that as we go through this life, it will be unusual to get through it unscathed. And we've got to ask ourselves that if we do get what we want and we do get through life unscathed, what does that mean to our life experience? What does that mean? You know, like, for example, we want to, I wanted to avoid, avoid a divorce, right? I wanted to avoid a divorce. But what did I learn from that experience that made me more of a man that I am today, right? I wanted to avoid becoming addicted to alcohol. But what did I learn from being addicted to alcohol that's allowed me to make an incredible change in people's lives today, right? From the depth of human despair and sorrow, we can mine the most wonderful gold. It really depends what attitude we decide to take towards life. Do we want to develop above the line attitude where we come from a place of pure pristine presence? Or do we want to de develop a below the line mentality where we're always stuck in drama, where our addiction lies? At 1000 Days Sober, we're always trying to push and promote above the line thinking. Okay, that's where we want to be as conscious as we can be uh, whenever we can be. Or more important than that, really be aware where we are on a day to day, minute by minute basis. Right now, I'm being very conscious. I'm feeling very conscious. I'm feeling in a very abundant space. I'm looking forward to sharing stuff with you. You know, a little bit later on, I might be coming from a place of drama and unconsciousness. I certainly was last night when I was having a few words with my darling. I slipped below the line. Um, and that's okay because that's part of the human condition. Okay. That's part of the human condition is that um, we will slip below the line every now and then. In fact, 
If you read Emotional Intelligence by Dan Goldman, he'll tell you that it's actually part and parcel of being human, <laughs> and that the limbic brain, our gene-based learning system that disappeared, not disappeared, but was joined by a nerve-based learning system two million years ago, um, does actually prepare us for making sure uh, that we are more attuned to being on the negative side of things to, to look out for our welfare. So have a bit of compassion and empathy with yourself today, okay? Uh, before I go on to our next guest, I just wanted to let you know that something quite remarkable is going to go ahead in, in February. We are going to be, or well, I am, and the 1,000 Days Sober team supporting me, I'm going to be creating a wonderful experience for you, 12 days of training. I am going to show you my step-by-step -step process on how to become someone that doesn't drink alcohol without cravings, okay? I'm going to be providing training in five key areas, all three uh, for you. We're going to create a, uh, a little um, private uh, Facebook group. I'm going to do the training on there. It's all going to be live. So if you want to be a part of that, and uh, it is free, F-R-E-E, -E, then send me an email at 1kdaysober at gmail.com. That's the number one, 1kdaysober at gmail.com. And we will set you up and get you into that group, and you can have a wonderful time with me, an exciting time. Really excited to it, about it. I've already um, started doing the content. It is banging, and you will learn an incredible amount, okay? Right. On to my next guest today, Alex Kemp, the beautiful Alex Kemp. Every inspirational story starts from rock bottom before a breakthrough occurs and we're taken on a magical ride. This is a human narrative and we must allow ourselves to experience this journey and accept the mistakes and failures that are part of evolution. With the absurdity of people, emotions and life itself, we must open our consciousness and make decisions through our expansive selves. In this episode, Alex Kent talks about the two parts of people and why we have to become vulnerable and accepting of life. She also touches on topics of forgiveness, societal norms, emotional responses, and magical processes. She discovers, discusses the need for faith and trust to truly appreciate life for what it is and be in a state of peace. And there's no peace here as my daughter is banging on the door trying to get in here. Do apologize for that. So tune into this podcast to learn from Alice Kemp's transformational life philosophy. Here are three things that you should get out of this episode that I want you to. Know Alex's philosophy towards the wounded and expansive self. Discover why we have leaders within us, uh, but we have to take them out of hiding. And learn more about the world around us and the social expectations that we put upon ourselves. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, and I will see you in our super cool training, how to become someone who doesn't drink alcohol without craving, get hold of me at that email address. Without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of the beautiful, of the amazing, incredibly intelligent and super smart, Alex Kemp. Alex Kemp, it's been a long time, right? Yes, Lee, it's so good to see you. Yeah, yeah. It's, mm. uh, things are very, very passionate around here i nearly canceled this yeah i'll tell you why and it, we, we can kick off our podcast with it because i'm um, you know Perfect. it will fit perfectly into you be able to show people what you do for a living um but mm -hmm. um on sunday my my daughter zia she got bitten by a dog so mm. we were in the park and 
even as I describe this, I'm feeling a great amount of shame. Mm. Uh, so there was this, uh, we was in the park and we were, as always, we were going to leave. And she just wanted to play in the park a little bit longer. And there was a, um, a couple there with two dogs, a, a small little yappy white dog and a big, huge German shepherd cross with a neckerchief on, big, scary looking, but cuddly thing. And the guy who owned the dog, he was playing in a playground with his daughter and we were kind of like interacting. And then he went back to his dogs with his wife and his kid and another father in a playground with their daughter said, can we stroke your dog? And he was like, yeah, sure. You know, like he's really friendly with kids. You know, we got our own daughter. He's amazing. He's a little love bug. So they started stroking the dog. And then Zia said, can I stroke the dog? Mm -hmm. (sighs) I I don't like dogs. Mm. I don't like Zia stroking dogs. I don't like any of that shit. But I've been going through this thing of yes, yes, yes. Especially when it comes with Zia, because I've been finding that me giving the energy of no all the time is causing confrontation. And this time around, like when I'm saying yes to her and, and spending time with her, we're getting more connected. So I said, ask the owner first. So she said, can I stroke your dog? They said, yeah. And we all went up there and she's stroking the dog, but I don't like dogs. Right. So my, my posture and my positioning, I'm not, I'm not separating her from the dog's head. The owner's there stroking she's stroking him and it's like 10 minutes and then she goes away and then she comes back and she says, can I stroke him one more time? And the owner says, yes. And she went to touch him and he turned around and, and bit her on the face. Mm. And um, I picked her up off the floor and I could see she had a face mask on. I could see she, he cut her eye. And then uh, I took the face mask off and there was a big deep laceration on her, on her lip. Mm. And of course with a lip wound, like there's blood everywhere. And she stopped crying very, very quickly. And then she was like, what happened? What happened? What happened? And I heard this guy say, um, did he bite her? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you need to get her to the hospital. And I just picked her up and I ran to the car and I put her in the back seat and there's blood everywhere and with a lip in my hand. And she's trying to make sense of it all, you know, and I've got to leave her to drive, right? I got to, mm-hmm. can't be with her. So I gave her a towel and she puts it over her face. And I, mm-hmm. I don't even know where to go because I'm, I'm still like, don't know where I'm, where I am and what I'm doing in LA. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm just going to drive home as quick as I can. So every time we stop at a stoplight, I'm like looking after her and she's like, stopped crying by this point, but she's like freaking out, you know, like, and then she, then she just kind of gets calm with it and she's just hiding her face. Right. Mm -hmm. So we get home, cut a long story short. We end up going to hospital. She ends up having stitches uh, in her mouth. And then the next day we took her to see a plastic surgeon and the plastic surgeon was like, she's going to be okay. We just need to, the stitching is really good. Everything will heal. You know, you just got to look after and she could be okay. <clears throat> and, you know, s- such a courageous, brave little girl, right? But so many things coming up for me, you know, while she was, I wasn't able to be there with her because they would only let one of us in. And I, I felt because of the state that she was in, that she, she would prefer to be with her mom. I knew she was going to go through traumatic stuff. Like they gave her a, a jab in her actual mm. mouth and, and mm-hmm. they had to stitch her up while she was awake. Um, she actually fell asleep during the stitching. So I, I was like, here's the thing. I, and I'll tell you this and then I'll stop and then we can, we can go on a little bit more. But I was outside pacing around, praying to the universe to that she wasn't going to be permanently scarred, but also going through this uh, shame cycle that is no different if it's sexual shame, 
if it's shame around parenting, around abuse, around not good enoughness, whatever it is, shame is shame, right? It doesn't matter if it's a, a dog bite or whatever. I was feeling shame. And in, in that moment, I realized that these, these thoughts and feelings that I'm having, they don't serve me right now. Mm. Like it's happened. Mm-hmm. I automatically think that I know what I need to learn from it in terms of the practicalities of being around a dog. Mm. I know I need to be there for my daughter and there's going to be some trauma there. And I know that I'm suffering from some trauma. I know her mom is going to be suffering from some trauma. But right now, telling my, and there was a, um, uh, an image I kept going in my head, a video that was playing of me getting in between her and the dog's head, stroking the dog at the same time so she could draw, choke. So I was protecting her. Mm. And, and I kept telling myself, stop playing that image because it's making it worse. And then I remember feel the feelings to their completion. So mm. I just let the anger and the shame and everything and the guilt just, just do its thing. And then I'm like, I'm done with this. And here's where I'll stop. There was um, a massive impulse within me from my ego, I think, that wouldn't let me drop it, that I needed to hurt myself, that mm. I needed to make a big drama out of it. And I couldn't allow people around me to think that I didn't care and the mm. only way that I could show them that I cared was by, was by experiencing shame. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, felt like societal conditioning. I felt like there's no way now that I can just be like, okay, I'm done with this now. I just need to be there with my daughter and logical and rational. I'm done with my emotions because they're not serving me. They're, they're just harming me right now. Mm-hmm. But there was then something saying, no, you need to keep showing people that you're hurt. And I'll, I'll leave it there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is gold. It's actually really wild to hear you saying this because I've been excavating the same things in my own journey where, you know, I had this experience recently where I just didn't communicate with someone. And if I communicated, our whole conversation would have been so much better, but because I didn't say the thing, it was causing so much friction. And so then it came up a week later and it was like, Hey, I'm really hurt that you didn't communicate yourself. And it was just over, you know, seeing someone. And I realized that I just kept shaming myself to show that person that I cared about them. And I was Mm. like, Oh, okay. I need to punish myself and get myself in that space where I feel guilty. And then they'll know that I care. And so I had that same narrative show up. So listening to you talk about it was so interesting because Mm. when I hear you talk about it, I see myself in you. And then Mm. I get to also use this relationship that we have as a mirror for me to see what would I tell you in that circumstance? And then how can I see that advice that I would give and take it for myself? And I think what you just brought awareness to is a pattern that we're really shifting out of because even if you think about it society it's societally it's like when you make a mistake you get punished for it and you're even still still judging you not getting in Zia's way and protecting her from the dog as a mistake right yeah. and so i also think there's something to be said about resisting the past and not accepting it and that's also where a lot of suffering comes cuz it's like i should have done this differently and if i would have done this differently she wouldn't be hurt and i can only imagine that from a father perspective, um, just wanting to protect your child, but also how vulnerable knowing that they're going to have experiences getting hurt in the world. And so I'm curious, how do you navigate that as a parent? Um, one of the first things that came off me quite strongly was um, 
And again, this is, uh, as I'm explaining, this is such a story when you think about it, is the need for my daughter to look at me and know that I will protect her, mm. which is bullshit because I can't always protect her. Obviously, your role as a parent is, yeah, you know, you you need to be there to protect her. But do you want to raise a daughter where she just thinks that without daddy being around, she's she can't look after herself? So there's a little bit of a story in there, but it was I was definitely thinking to myself, wow, I want to take her to the park and this dog's around and her to trust that I will be able to take care of her, not be like, oh, well, you didn't take care of me last time. So there was definitely that coming up for me in terms of, um, you know, my role as a father, for sure. Well, my other question would be, did you take care of her? I took care of her in the aftermath, but I was too loose. I think also, interestingly, there's a, a sense of approval here because there was a moment when I said, right, we're done. We're going. I was feeling uncomfortable mm-hmm. because, you know, and here's a, here's a shame, you know, part of the shame part is this dog was a big fucking timber wolf of a dog, right? Like mm-hmm. just, just writing out a description so my wife could take it to the police station. I just had these images of all the coppers going, this guy's a fucking idiot. You know, this this morning when we, my, my wife created um, like photographs, you know, of Zia's wounds and the dog so we could find the owner. And my mother-in-law looked at it and said, oh, look at the size of that dog. And then I reacted really angry. We'll talk about this in a minute. And this is why I nearly didn't come on the podcast. But so in that moment, I didn't, I didn't protect her because I don't like dogs. And so mm. I think if I did, my, my instinct would have been different. I would have been more close to a cuddling the dog as well. Like now, if she wants to stroke a dog, I'm going to get down and cuddle that dog and put myself between the head. So I learned, I got lucky and learned something. But when I said, we're done, the guy said, no, it's okay, right? Mm-hmm. And an approval thing come up in that moment mm-hmm. where I I didn't want him to feel bad when he said it's okay by me saying no, it's not okay and removing her. Mm-hmm. So there was a there was an element of approval in there which I'm I've never t- I haven't told my wife that. I guess I, there's a little part of that that I'm angry at myself about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. It sounds like there you had a boundary and then. It sounds more like self-resentment because that boundary showed up and you didn't listen to it because you wanted to be approved of, right? Correct. And I understand that because I have that too. I'm really unwinding that shame around placing boundaries. That's probably one of the hardest things for me to this day. It's something I'm still working on Mm. as just allowing, if I trigger someone by setting a boundary, just allowing that to be there and allowing them to be uncomfortable. And what, what I'm seeing play out in a few ways is this drama triangle that we've learned together so much about this year of the victim, the hero, and the villain. And even just not wanting to be the villain when you're setting that boundary, you know, and again, tracing it back to that desire for approval. And so seeing all those roles and what I want to hold that in is as we're talking about this experience, there gets to be so much grace and compassion because, you know, we learned through there's, there was a ins- factor of uncertainty that I want to name here, where, of course, you you wish you would have done this and you could have done that and it would have avoided these triggers that were coming up and it would have avoided, in this case, your daughter getting hurt. But at the same time, 
you didn't know that was what was going to come, what was going to happen. You didn't know that the dog, you saw her petting the dog and you saw her enjoying it. So I imagine too, there was a part of you that just wanted to let her enjoy it. Yeah, there, there was a lot of intuition that went into play here. And th- I think this mm-hmm. is what then feeds into later squabbles in the family afterwards is when you're in a situation like that as a parent, you make mm-hmm. an intuitive call about whether or not you're going to mm-hmm. you're gonna let the child do that. So, you know, mm-hmm. let's talk about that a little bit, right? So yeah. if, if this is a Rottweiler or a Pitbull or an, um, one of these Japanese dogs or the husky and the owner says no you you, you can struggle it's a love bug it's, it's okay it's cool then mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm not letting it go anywhere near that thing right mm-hmm. i grew up with german shepherds all my mm-hmm. life we had german shepherds my son jude played with german shepherds all his life without incident that said I was bitten by a German shepherd um, mm. once when I was younger. But so my experience of dealing with German shepherds is is very different. Mm-hmm. And I see the warmth and the love in them. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I picked up the intuition from the parents. This dog was three years of age. They had a kid the same age as Zia. Everything they were saying was so relaxed about this animal that I was mm-hmm. like, this is a safe spot. But then later on, when you're describing it factually for people, like the doctor and the nurse need facts, the police need facts, your wife needs facts, your your grandma who looks after all the time needs facts. And then when you explain these facts, and then the look on their face is like, what? You let this little thing play with a fucking wolf, one of the most Mm. dangerous dogs in the world? What the? Mm. And nobody's saying anything. But I'm then, what's happening is, I'm then also picking up because I believe that I'm deeply empathic, right? I know a lot of people don't think that, but I do. And I'm pick up energy, but I'm almost like a wizard who's just learning his trade, right? Mm. So, so I pick up that people are angry. Okay. I pick up that people are sad, but then I make it about me. I can't mm-hmm. read, I can't read the emotion correctly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's not about me. Mm-hmm. But then I make it about me because my shame comes up and, and it allows me to be angry. And of course, what do I want to be? I want to be angry. So then mm-hmm. I get angry at my wife for wanting to do things differently than me. And I get angry at my mother-in-law for wanting to do things differently than me. And then we all end up getting into a fight. And then, you know, my daughter gets upset. And then it's, and it's like, what the fuck? All of a sudden, it, it control has been lost and it's a shitstorm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you feel you would be reacting in this circumstance if you felt connected to the fact that you are whole and complete and worthy regardless of anything that happens outside of you? Um, what comes up for me is it's, I still think that I would, I would f- being, out, being outside at the hospital for like a couple of hours, just walking around praying and thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't bullshitting myself. I felt whole and complete. And mm-hmm. that I was forgiving myself and I was okay. Mm-hmm. And then and then I think that later on when I start to feel ashamed and I'm picking up an, an emotional attunement mm-hmm. and I'm making it about me. Again, I, I think that I think that that's normal. But then then in that moment, if I I need to I needed to have been able to I'm not asking any question, I know I'm not. But I needed, I needed in that moment to behave differently and take in response. I was angry with my wife's need to find, in order to find these people and to 
do the right thing by the law and regulations mm-hmm. and be a dutiful mother. And mm-hmm. I'm just thinking, well, this is just a blame game. Let's, let's just move on. Mm. But but then not allowing her to have a process and do her thing, mm. I'm then judging her and I'm I'm blaming her for my shame. Mm. So it sounds like there's a part of you that wants to move on to to not feel the shame anymore and just to like keep going forward. But then she's moving through her own process and there's resistance there. I think this is a really good teaching point actually for people uh, listening because what the way that I feel resistance works is it's a very skillful game of deception. Mm. So the story that resistance tells me is it is rational and logical to just move on because we cannot do anything about the past. Mm -hmm. And if anybody wants to blame anybody, then just blame me, which is the martyr comes up. What is the good of now getting these people and killing their dog or like them getting fined or whatever. Like, you know, to me, like that is like what I call below the line thinking. It's all about blame, judgment. Let's just move past it, move on. Right. But Mm -hmm. I actually think that that story is subterfuge, right? It's like what, Mm. what actually that is doing is it's preventing me from feeling, it makes me feel ashamed Mm. when that happens. Mm-hmm. When this post is everywhere, I look at it and think people are going to read and think, who, who let that happen? Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't blame them for saying you can stroke the dog. Mm-hmm. I, I can only blame myself for mm-hmm. saying yeah and allowing mm-hmm. it to happen and not being on my guard as much as I should have been. Right. Mm-hmm. So this, this shame piece is kind of like hidden by this lie mm-hmm. that you create. And then that lie becomes your reality. Mm-hmm. And then everybody, like my my wife and my mother-in-law, who are trying to do the right thing, I'm then giving off the wrong energy mm. because I don't want to say anything about it, but I'm giving off the energy that I'm not happy with the way this is going. They're reacting with their energy, and then I'm blaming them for having that energy. But if I take radical responsibility, I created it all. And I'm okay. I'm, I'm not... The radical responsibility piece has to be divorced from self-flagellation, right? I'm not... So like talking to you here right now, I'm above the line and I'm willing to take radical responsibility for what happened towards my daughter. And I'm Mm -hmm. willing to take radical responsibility for the fight that just happened and my inability to show up for my mother-in-law and for my, Mm. my wife and my daughter this morning. Mm. And that's, that's without self-flagellating myself. I'm compassionate with myself, understanding that my Mm -hmm. emotions got the better of me. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. So let's turn that shame Mm -hmm. into guilt. And then I can... I can repair this rupture later on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that because what I see too, and what you just shared is like, you already have your own magical process and this is all a part of it. And I think when we talk about pieces of shame, especially in the self-development world, it's like, okay, just like get that away. We don't want to deal with that. We don't want to touch that. But what you just shared earlier of allowing yourself to feel fully to go there, just let it, let it be seen, let it be heard, let it be expressed. That's what I believe all emotions that come through us just want that very thing. They want to be seen. They want to be loved. They want to be expressed in some way, shape or form. And when we hold space for them, we can learn what are they here to tell us? Or maybe they just want to move or maybe there is a story there. But what I want to highlight here, what feels important is that 
all of your mental processes of trying different things on and seeing what resonates you is all a part of the journey of discovering your truth. And so I want to celebrate you for allowing yourself to just really sit with it. What is here for me? What what do I feel around this situation? Oh, maybe I was angry. Oh, maybe I was actually resentful towards myself or crossing a boundary or just trying on all of these different realities because I do believe that that's an integral role in finding your truth. Like, what does this mean for you, Lee, as an individual? And um, it's so it's just so beautiful to watch you go through this process, even right now in this moment. Yeah, I think the the other the other thing too. Thank you for that, Alex. <clears throat> the other thing is um, not recognizing earlier the trauma experienced by her mom because mm-hmm. her mom wasn't there. Because, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. her mum's her there when her daughter's being stitched up and her daughter's being syringed and it's her daughter, right? Like, mm-hmm. So um, we can't always agree with people and the way that they go about things in these things, but you need to allow the person to have their their process and i didn't do mm-hmm. that this morning um mm-hmm. and yeah my inner child came out for sure so i need to put that right later like my my, my wife said to me it's not enough to just apologize and own it i need to know you're you're with me and you're mm-hmm. behind me in the decisions that i want to make and mm-hmm. now that i've talked about it and thought about it and understand the fear and the guilt that's preventing me from joining her and i can get past that and join her the other thing as well that's this in my mind, which is influencing the way that I've been behaving, is just observing how a four-year-old deals with this. Mm-hmm. So let's, you know, she's uh, like, I had, I had bits of her body in my hand that fell out of her, like, you know, mm-hmm. like she's got a horrific wound. She doesn't complain about it. She doesn't moan about it. She doesn't blame the dog. She... You know, she's. It's going to be interesting to go back to that park. It's going to be interesting to be around dogs. But right now, she is just like getting on with it. Right? She's just like it happened. I'm, I've learned from it, type of thing. And she's just golden. She's just all love. And I look at that from a state of adult, and I'm like, mm. that's. I'm trying to follow that lead, and mm. and I and I think that's what's got me in a bit of bit of stum. Uh, mm. Got me in a bit of a a, a, a sticky patch here because. There is the legality of it. And I guess, you know, what's our main concern here right now is that they, this doesn't happen to another child. And I haven't given that enough, mm. enough um, attention. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been more like, okay, they told me that this dog is three years of age. It's obviously, you know, they're telling me that it's, ne- I'm assuming that they would never let a dog that bites kids allow kids in a playground to touch this dog. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that they will just deal with it and they won't allow that dog to do the same thing again, where, you know, when my wife is like, that's an assumption, this needs to be dealt with in the proper way through the authorities, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, I felt this shame right at the beginning. Cause like, as soon as I come home, my wife was like, you know, did you get their contact details? And I got really angry. Mm-hmm, I'm like, mm-hmm. well, no, I just picked up my door and just ran to the car. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like. So, you know, straight away it was, it was there. Yeah. You know, I want to share just a quick anecdote, which is one of my closest friends, her son is three years old or four years old and he was with his dad and he stuck his hand in the juicer and the juicer went on. Yeah. Sorry Mm. to be detailed like that. But he had to go to, needless to say, went to the hospital, very traumatic and she wasn't there. 
And it, I just want to share this because you're not alone in this parenting journey where something happens to your kid and they get hurt and it brings up all this stuff. And it brought up a lot of trust issues. She was with mm. you or he was with you. What were you doing? How did that happen? And then uh, I imagine he was feeling shame and this dynamic just started to come. And it's all because you both want the same thing. You both yeah. want your child to be safe. You both want her to be healthy. You both want her to be happy. And you, you're trying to go about that in your own expressions. And so mm. I just really wanted to share that you're not alone in that journey. And, you know, it's normal for things to come up, especially I can't imagine because I'm not a parent, but I can get a sliver that it would bring up just a lot out of love. And so maybe with Liza, that connection point is just the love and protection and care you have for Zia and just coming back to that and seeing her pain as a reflection of the same root that you're experiencing in a different expression. Mm, thank you for that. And that that actually segues nicely into what I wanted to, to talk to you about about hiding leaders, right? Because yeah. you know, for me, when I when I think about the interactions that me and Liza have had since you know Zia um, had the injury, um, I felt nothing but love, support, and empathy and connection from Liza. You know, she very quickly grabbed hold of me and was like, you know, this is, this is not your fault, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I was like, yeah, I know. I've like just been walking around for two hours telling myself <laughs> that it's not. Um, mm-hmm. But so, so I, I, I actually know like intuitively that um, she's not blaming me for anything. She's just 100% supportive with me. And this is where the 100% radical responsibility comes in. She's just reacting to my, inability to be there for her like she's been there for me mm-hmm. right so in the way that she says like i'm i'm here for you this is not your fault i'm here to support mm-hmm. you that's mm-hmm. her showing up in her power when she needs me to support her to to find the people who had the dog and to you know yeah. to 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 get them to to be more responsible because i you know one of Liza's um arguments is where were they? Like the park was full of people. Not one person tried to help me or offered help. Nobody did anything. Mm-hmm. Like what mm-hmm. are the motives behind that? Like, what would I do? I would mm-hmm. be there with them, giving them my details. So I understand that. So what happens now is there's an erosion of trust. You know, like I can trust that she will be there for me, but she can't trust that I will be there for her because I wasn't there for her. Mm-hmm. And not only was I not there for her, I then create a story through my resistance mm-hmm. around my shame to try to make her feel ashamed for what she's doing. So I'm not mm-hmm. only am I so there's a double layer here of trust that she needs to she needs to get through, you know? So like and I slipped into not trusting her at some point by misinterpreting the emotional attunement and the feelings that I was getting from her and attributing towards me. Like that was not trusting either because like I should have just trusted no she's she's fully supportive of me I'm I'm picking up these vibes incorrectly this is not about me so you know later on when I talk to Liza there's definitely a piece around trust that I want to talk to her about and mm-hmm. and then the segue is I know you you work with uh, hidden leaders and you can talk about that a little bit in a minute we have um a Marco Polo group uh, with Strive there's about 40 people on there right now but it's the same people who turn up again and again and again, sharing mm-hmm. and talking. And I, when they do, I challenge them because I believe if you want to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol, 
that being pushed towards the edges and into that tension will be where you'll find your greatest breakthroughs, right? Mm. But I also am aware that while I'm challenging them, people are afraid and they don't trust the container because they don't want to be challenged by me. And then that gets me into a little bit of, oh, what do we do here then? Because like, if Alex doesn't trust the container and my story is that I need to push Alex and challenge Alex to to recover from her addiction to alcohol. Mm. And then Fred does come up and gets challenged. There's a part of me that's like, I need this other person to trust this process, but it is not as simple as that because there's something going on with that person that makes it completely and utterly impossible for them to show Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. And the reason, like I believe everybody on Strive is a leader. Mm -hmm. And some are hiding, some aren't. And I kind of wanted to have a conversation around you in a very empathic, compassionate way around the benefits of showing up mm-hmm. and the benefits of not showing up and the negativity of showing up and the negativity of not showing up. Mm-hmm. I've thrown, thrown a lot at you. <laughs> yes, this is so exciting. And and one of the biggest the things that just came up was that for a lot of people, hiding is so comfortable. It's so comfortable. So it's like, why would I do this thing that's going to bring up all of my shit and shadows and pain and fears and intimacy blocks and whatever, when this is so comfortable? Can't I get what I want from here? And it's funny because usually people step into our containers because they know that this is not working for them. Hiding is not working for them. Mm. However, and there's so much, there's two sides to this coin because there's one that a lot of people navigate their process in different ways. Like I am definitely someone who is comfortable in my own space, doing my own introspection. And it's more vulnerable for me to step out and do that in front of someone, for example. But then I also know that there's a shadow side to that part of myself where I can just stay comfortable in my own process. And it actually serves as almost, I would describe it as an intimacy block with life itself. So it's not just in my relationships that I won't let people see me in my process. It's also with life that I won't let it see me in my process. And that's why I love what you just brought. This is why I love your leadership style, Lee, because you go first. You let people see you while you're processing things, while you're discovering yourself, while you're seeing what something means to you. And to me, that is leadership because even in the role of being a coach or a facilitator, a business owner, it doesn't mean that we're not processing anything. And the more that we get to allow ourselves to be seen in our mess or in our process, that actually helps build trust. And that's why I called it an intimacy block because even in our relationships with people, if we're not letting them into our process, it doesn't feel reciprocal. And then there's a lack of trust because it's like, well, She's seen me in my process, but I don't know if she's in hers. And I've even had things come up with my clients where they feel like they don't know me. So it creates like a lack of safety for them to go there with me. Mm. And so what I love is you brought up empathy and we're bridging that gap right now, even in this conversation by saying, I know what it feels like to want to hide and want to be in my comfort and want to just be in that space. And I know the power of allowing myself to be witnessed even when it feels vulnerable. And you know, another thing that I wanted to name about your process in particular right now is sometimes it just burns and it's uncomfortable and it hurts. But if we allow ourselves to just walk through the fire, fire and alchemy is transformation. It brings us to a new state of being. And 
in alchemy, once you're transformed, it's like you can't even go back to that old version of yourself. So Mm -hmm. sometimes when we allow ourselves to be courageous and walk through that fire, that is the thing that ends up transforming us. And oftentimes that's the exact thing that's also scary is who is that version of me who allows myself to be witnessed in the process? What's going to happen? Who will I become if I'm allowing myself to be seen? Is it even safe? And when we're transformed, we can't shift back. Like the, the butterfly can't go back into being a caterpillar. And that's scary for a lot of people. So holding mm. that space of empathy and saying, hey, I've been there, you know, even if for you and your sobriety journey, I know what it's like to be in that space of fear probably. And that's why I created this program is to support you in choosing differently. So instead of, and one more thing I want to tie in here is when I have clients who aren't showing up the way I want them to, I notice that the first thing that I want to do sometimes is very honest is like shame them. Like, why aren't you doing this? Or come on, like I'm calling you forward, but you know why it's because that's what I do to myself. And so it, it translates everywhere. And, you know, right now when this shows up in our containers, we have the opportunity to write a different story by maybe that person who's hiding is expecting them like to be shamed. Maybe they're not expecting to be met with compassion and grace and a little more intentionality to get them to open up. So there's a lot to, a lot to explore there. Yeah. There was a couple of things that uh, came up, you know, like um, when you were saying it's like this going through the fire and the alchemy and leading to transformation. There's um, an exercise that we do in the stuck phase of the strike method for addiction called positive disintegration. And it Mm -hmm. comes from a, Polish psychiatrist called Krasimir Dabrowski. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, for example, when I got to 35 years of age and I realized that I was a just complete lush and that I was a zombie and I wasn't really thinking and there was no internal growth and there was no external growth and everything around me was toxic, right? Then what Dabrowski says is, you know, you're just starting to realize and wake up that there are levels that you can attain to in life. So he calls that process of positive disintegration, your uni level. And then there are multi-level steps that you can go in terms of your personal growth and your development. And disintegration, like you say, with like the fire, same thing, like disintegration is like, you know, it's destruction, it's uh, destroying something, but it's also creative. It's Mm -hmm. also uh, construction, the ability Mm -hmm. to see things anew and see things afresh. So Mm -hmm. what I was thinking about when you were saying, you know, when people could people could be listening to this and be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like I'm, I'm going to walk through the fire and I'm going to transform and I'm going to positively disintegrate and like emerge as this beautiful Phoenix. And then the concept of upper limit problems comes in because then you're thinking your, your subconscious is thinking. And if I do that, there's no stopping me. Mm. And then the upper limit problem is hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on a minute. And this is resistance, right? Hang on a minute, Alex. If there's no stopping you, then life is going to get really uncomfortable and challenging, but joyful and celebratory and beautiful at the same time. But it's going to be tough and you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do. And you're going to have to show up. And you're going to have to stop hiding. Let's have a fight with someone. Let's, so we can drink. Mm-hmm. Let's, um, let's have an accident so people will look after us. Let, and then this upper limit problem comes in where we actually self-sabotage ourselves and we knock mm-hmm. ourselves down again, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you think about that. 
Mm, Absolutely. You know, I can attest to that when I think Preston says it a lot. He says new levels, new devils. And that's just stuck with me because it's really true. Every time I have some sort of breakthrough, a deeper layer comes up. And what I'm trying to learn is when those things come up to lean into them, be like, oh, this is a sign that life wants to bring me something even greater than I could possibly imagine. And how can I just let this burn instead of, and and this is a big thing for me because, you know, I've gone through this cycle for years now where I have this expansive period of life and then something, there's a contraction because we do live in a world of duality. So all these parts are at play, which is for me, why it's so important not to avoid those places that feel muddy and sticky and full of shame and, um, and pain, because that's actually a part of the process of waking up to deeper truths about ourselves and our lives and choosing things with every cell in our being. And, you know, it's such a magical part of the process that for me to deny that would also be to deny myself of the joy that I've experienced in my life. And so even in the last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of interpersonal conflicts come up where it's just lack of communication or people feeling things that hit me out of the blue because I had no idea they were feeling them or experiencing them. And it was really tender and really hard. And I was waking up every day just being like, okay, what's going to happen today? And the reason I share this story is because two years ago, even, or even a year ago, I would have been like, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me for attracting these experiences? But now I know I'm stepping into something that's huge. That's something I've never had before. And so these conflicts are coming up because I am about to break through in a huge way. And so if I can just sit with this, if I can just have a little more courage, if I can just allow it to burn, I know already what's on the other side of this. And so I think there's just, I think there is an element of faith and trust. But for me, I have a lot of data from past experiences that shows me that when this comes up, something beautiful always happens. So if you listen to any story of an inspirational speaker, they have that moment where shit hits the fan and they feel like everything's falling apart. And then they have that moment where the breakthrough comes and the expansion comes. So I think when we trust that part of life, then things get even more magical and powerful and in a way miraculous. I like it. It it reminds me of uh, like um, with this incident, you got to say to yourself once, I mean, when the emotion starts to take over and kick in, we, a lot of us are not going to be skilled enough to be able to even, we're not going to be aware enough and we're not going to be skilled enough to deal with the the output of the awareness. So the awareness is, holy shit, I'm shaming myself. I'm freaking out. I'm really angry. I want to blame everybody. So there needs to be an awareness that, hang on a minute, this is going out of control. So for me, my test, was, my chest was getting too tight. The video image of me trying to protect my daughter was replaying too much. And there was an awareness. It was like, Lee, this is going out of control. Now, secondly, then it was like, okay, I need some tools to deal with this. So I was walking around outside and I was tapping. I was doing mm, EFT, nice. right? Like I totally mm-hmm. and utterly completely love myself, even though I've just let a dog bite my daughter's face off. That was how I started mm-hmm. off. And then it was mm-hmm. really more compassionate to myself, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that element of it as well. And then the third element I I, I went into was, and I'm, I'm, I'm and this is like flowing now to today is this is a test. So I said to myself, this is a test. How am I being tested right now? And there was a part of me that was like, 
do you know what? I've been saying that I've got this sust, I've got this lick that I've never been more psychologically, spiritually, and physically with it. Like, and this is a test. This is like, Lee, don't get carried away. You're still a student. You still have so much to learn. You do not master this information, this knowledge. Let's let's give you something really fucking traumatic and see how you fucking deal with that, right? So mm. there was that element of me that was like, oh, right, okay, this is a test. How am I going to deal with this? Mm. And this actually linked into an upper limit problem I had around money recently. As you know, like I had real mm. scarcity issues around money. Right now, I'm in the most abundant mindset ever when it comes to money. And when this incident happened in my head, it's like, you don't have health insurance, mm. right? And then it was, oh, plastic surgery. So in my head, I'm thinking very quickly, multiple four, five figure thousands of pounds, which I don't have to do with this. And then I said to myself, go away. I used to say, I just said, go away. Like I am financially abundant, go away. And, you know, Liza found a medical card in her bag. She didn't even know she had. And then the plastic surgeon said, it's 500 for a visit. And then we said, okay, we'll uh, call you back. And then they rung us back and they said, do you know what? Just come in and come in in another two weeks. Don't worry about it. Right. And I'm like, there's a part of me was like, yes, it's working. Like it's a test. So if you can listen to this, if you're, if you say, and, and think about this, right? I'm not drinking, right? Like my tool of drinking disappeared 10 years ago. And now I feel my feelings and it's really uncomfortable and it's really difficult, but I know I can do it because each time you do it, you develop more of trust within yourself that you're capable mm -hmm. of doing this. And, mm -hmm. and I've had, you know, a lot of things thrown my way and you just mm -hmm. deal with it and you deal with it and you deal with it. And you don't always deal with it well. Like I, this morning, I have not dealt with mm -hmm. it well, but then you can go back and you can, mm -hmm. you can fix it. You can put it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's something really powerful that happens when we allow ourselves to make mistakes. Yeah. And when we just say, I'm human and I'm learning. And I've personally never seen a single human being walk this planet perfectly. You know, some might say, Jesus, Buddha, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm just talking about the people I look at in my life. Mm. I'm like, wow, every one of them has made a mistake. And I love every one of them. So interesting. How come I am struggling to love myself and have grace for myself? And, you know, since I did bring up Jesus, it rung this whole message around forgiveness and just knowing that we have been learning through trial and error since the moment there was life on this planet. That is how evolution has worked. It's like, oh, this, this trait helps me evolve. This trait doesn't help me evolve. Well, the next generation, the trait that helps us evolve is going to be stronger and the ones that don't are going to dissipate with time. And so when I think about that, it actually gives me a great deal of comfort because now I know when I walk throughout the world, I get to try things. If it doesn't work, great. It onto the next thing. And mm. that is a very empowering place to be when we're willing to go there. We're willing to try something, even if it doesn't work how we expected it to. No matter what, we're going to walk away with some learning about ourselves, about the world, and we're going to have some treasure from it. So if we can look at things from that perspective too, and just know that it's happening to for our highest good all the time, so that we, even if our highest good is seeing something that's not serving us so we could let it go. That's a win. Mm. Yeah. It, um, again, it reminds me of 
Zion Kim, another one of our mentors, saying results don't take time, they take courage. And mm-hmm. I and I think about um, there's that scene in the Matrix where they shot they've shot Neo right at the end, and he's and then he gets up and he does and and he's alive, and they shoot him again, and he just goes no with his hand, like. When it comes to the stories around why we won't step up and why we mm-hmm. won't deal with our feelings, mm-hmm. the story, right? The story is going to go on and on and on and on. And it's going to take us longer and longer and longer to fix things. Like I was mm-hmm. reading The Road Less Traveled last night mm-hmm. and the author was saying, yeah, I was working with this woman. And after four years of therapy, we finally got to a place where she could like, you know, do amazing things. Four years of therapy. And I'm thinking to myself, all somebody needs to do at some point is go, stop. I am not doing this anymore. I'm going to put my hand up and I'm going to ask. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to go first. I'm going to do something different. I'm, I'm yeah. going to allow myself to be challenged mm-hmm. because, and I know people listening to this who will have like depression and anxiety and all kinds of things. We're thinking, Lee, you're just so full of shit, but I'm going to go there anyway. I don't know anybody else's experience. I only know my experience. And my mm-hmm. job since I stopped drinking alcohol is to share my experience. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't attest to be anything other than that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so my experience of this is every time I suffer pain and suffering, I realize that I am choosing to suffer that pain and suffering. The only exception is physical pain. But even then, when I look at my daughter dealing with the, this, the, the damage, I've never heard her once complain. Mm-hmm. You, you get a dog bite me. And mm-hmm. I have the same injuries as her. I guarantee you, I'm going to complain and moan and grow more than she will. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of what was going on is a choice. And mm-hmm. I find with myself personally, if I can make a different choice and I can battle through the societal conditioning that I have to behave in a certain way, like for example, if my wife, my, when my first wife left me, how are you supposed to react when your wife leaves you? Mm-hmm. Devastation, upset, sadness, melancholy. What if you were like, no. I love my wife and I'm devastated that happened, but I'm going to get on with my life. And I now get to spend my life doing whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I have more money now. I can have sex with more people now. I can have intimate relationships that I couldn't have had before. I can do what I want with my son without somebody telling me what to do. You're not allowed to think like that. But if mm-hmm. you do think like that, you can reduce and condense time. Mm-hmm. because you're choosing not to feel the pain and instead you're choosing a different route, which is a lot mm-hmm. quicker. It's like, Neil, mm-hmm. no, no, I am not going to feel this fucking pain. I am not mm-hmm. going to suffer. I don't mm-hmm. have to. I'm going to mm-hmm. choose the path. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that is so powerful. And I think there is this, we touched on it in the beginning, but expectation of I should yeah. be doing it this way. And when I feel those feelings and I think that I zoom out, I think, okay, I am a human being on this crazy planet that's spinning around the sun and there's other planets spinning with us and we're in this galaxy and other galaxies. And when I really zoom out in this way, I think should, why, why should I do that? Why should I react that way? Oh, because I was taught to great. Who cares? I don't like it when, and when you get to that place of detachment, any, or that place of detachment, it's so powerful because you realize that we are consciously choosing the stories that we want to experience. And so, you know, one of the biggest teachers for this for me is I remember, you know, back when COVID first started and everything was happening, 
I was so overwhelmed and anxious at just the grandeur of this issue we were facing collectively. And so I decided to turn my phone off and I started going on walks in nature. And this one day I was like, I'm going to spend all day in nature. And I completely forgot about what was going on in the world. I, I was like, whoa, I don't, I don't even know where <laughs> what's happening. And it made me think how much of, and not to say this isn't even about really COVID and what's going on. It's really just about understanding that we are collectively choosing and experiencing stories and m- mental constructs of the world. And so when I had that moment, it really just helped me take a step back and remember my, ultimately, I guess my divinity and my connection to, I don't like to put names on it because I don't like to put it in boxes, but just this infinite being or this entity that it also lives within me. Mm. And that also brought up shame because the world's living in fear and we're scared and we don't know. And there are people dying and things are happening. And then I'm in nature having this transcendental experience of love and bliss. And there was a part of me that felt guilty for that Mm. and didn't know what to do with that because I felt like there was a narrative that I should be acting a certain way right now. And for me not to felt very radical. And and when you got, when you got COVID, (laughs) when you got COVID, I'm like, Oh, are you, are you okay? And you were just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there's a part of me that was thinking to myself, you know, not so much now, but definitely in the past, I would, I would have been, I would have wanted to tell everybody I had COVID. I, I don't know. There, there would have been a, a, this definite external valid day. Oh, look at me. I got COVID and I'm doing mm. really well. And I'm like, like, but you were just like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, like uh, I got it and I'm dealing with it. And you know, like I didn't sense any story connected to it or anything. It was just an experience mm-hmm. that w- you was dealing with. Yeah. And it was interesting because I actually felt shame when I got COVID. So it was, it was the opposite of that, where I was like, oh, I got this thing and I've been, I saw people that week. So of course now people are going to judge me because I saw whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just sat with that and I just took a moment and decided that I didn't really want to associate with that story and that I just wanted to own this experience and accept it because that was also a mirror for me to see how I resist what is. I have COVID. That's it, period. So what am I going to do about it? I'm going to quarantine. I'm going to take my space. I'm not going to see other people, whatever. And you know, it passed through me. But there's something about that. Just another word that's been coming up on this podcast with you is surrender. Surrendering Mm -hmm. to the journey surrendering to the past what happened i got it i got a virus that's super contagious and running rampant across the world why would i feel shame about that um it happened and so um that has been really powerful to take ownership and to accept my experience no matter what happens so i think there is an element of faith and trust that comes with that because i ultimately am walking past a path for me with a spirit, with a creator, with a purpose and a connection to, yeah, kind of a divine mission that's not a, not in words. It's not like, oh, I am here to do this. It's just this feeling I have in my heart. And so even when I got something that could be as scary as COVID, I recognize it was such a gift because I got it very mildly, even though it was still not fun. I just have this faith that if I this is a really deep one, but if I were to die, I am to die. And that's also feels radical 
because I think that COVID is bringing up a lot of fear around death and not that I want people to die early, not that I want people to get sick, but in my own life, what you just talked about with suffering, I realize that even if the world is burning down, I still have a choice of how I react to that. I still have a choice of what experience I can have. And um, there's a part of me that's still working on owning that because it's it's there's a big narrative right now of what it means to be human, what what a good person is, what a what we should be feeling. And so to feel that acceptance feels edgy. Edgy. I like it. Beautiful. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. If you want to learn more about Alex Kemp, you want to work with this beautiful young lady, then get over to www.1000daysober.com. Go to the podcast page. There'll be one just for Alex and you'll get all the links and be able to sign up and work for it. Do you want to say anything before we let you go, Alex? I just want to leave everyone with a question or contemplation, which is when you're making decisions, there's always two parts of you. There's the wounded self and what I like to call is the expansive self. There's a part of you that's ready to jump in and leap. And there's a part of you that's terrified of doing it. And when it comes to living a life where we feel really empowered and free and liberated, it always comes when we're choosing to make decisions from that expansive self. And so you know, if that's you and you're in this situation where you know that life is asking for more from you, this is what, what I do, which is helping people who know, who have that feeling of knowing to take that leap. Ask yourself, who do I want to run this show? Do I want my expansive self to run the show or do I want my wounded self to run the show? And just see what happens when you choose, choose the latter. I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call my wife and I'm going to tell her to let me know when she's in the car park so I can go and speak to her without Zia being there so she doesn't have to go back to that scene. And I'm going to be my expansive self. Thank Beautiful. you, Alex. Thank you, Lee. If you want to be somebody that doesn't drink alcohol or recover from any other addiction, improve your relationship with yourself and those that you love, or just want to learn to live a more conscious life, then here is what we can do to help you at 1000 Days Sober. Number one, we have a Strive subscription service, okay? So you pay a monthly fee, you come and join us, you come into our community, you get access to all our Marco Polo groups, you get access to our Kajabi group, you get access to uh, content that you will not see in the public sphere, mainly by yours truly, but by other people in my network of friends as well. What else do you get? You get access to a weekly coaching call with myself. So you can get coaching, a one-on-one coaching with me on that weekly coaching call. And you get money off various different workshops and uh, invites to lots of other free stuff. So that's our subscription service. You could do group coaching programs, okay? Right now we have two group coaching programs, both called the Strive Method. The first one is Addictions, okay? And they last for six months. The relationship course also lasts for six months. We've got Strive Method for Addictions, Strive Method for Relationships. There are workshops, okay? Or you can work with me personally one-on-one, okay? You can work with me personally one-on-one. And if you want to get involved in any of that, then just head to www.1000daysober.com and you will find everything that's going on there, okay? We have pages there on the website which will direct you in the right place and how to get older me including a workshop space there as well we're always running workshops so you can sign up for those as well last but not least if you do love this show and it has changed your life and you want to change the lives of somebody else tell somebody about it 
and rate and review it in your podcast provider. I would really appreciate that. If you want to just reach out to me, ask me a question, just email me, 1kdaysober.com. Ah, at gmail.com. Much love, everybody. Bye.